Sequence is loading. Where is everybody? This is an administrative meeting, Denny. Oh, what the hell am I doing? Are you ready? Relax. Denny Craig. All right, everybody. Walk and load. May it please the court, with all due respect. Get up! Get up! So long, Sally, and uh, take a break, Nora. And Bernie, get out of the kitchen a little bit. And there's a Scopes-infused court trial where Cranepool and Schmidt's senior partner, Shirley Schmidt, helps opposing counsel, I think, by announcing... I certainly believe in evolution. Who here among us, while watching the presidential debates, could deny that we all come from monkeys? From Forest Rain Studios, the home of Boston-Legal.org, this is the premier podcast of Boston Illegal, here and now. Get up! Murdered somebody over a fake word! Get up! It's Wednesday, August 24, 2005, the day after Boston Legal Tuesdays. I'm Dana Greenlee, and you're listening to Boston Illegal, the unofficial weekly podcast of Boston Legal, the TV show that David E. Kelly produces, broadcast here in the U.S. on ABC, along with the help of 20th Century Fox and, of course, David E. Kelly Productions. Today's podcast is essentially a conversation about the August 23 episode entitled, From Whence We Came. With me here now is Rob. He's a man that has seen every episode of Boston Legal and The Practice, I might add. And in real life, Rob hosts a nationally syndicated radio talk show. Welcome, Rob. Well, it's great to be here. You do like Boston Legal, right? I do. I watch it a lot. I watch <laughs> it with you, matter of fact, and it's a terrific show. Always watch Boston Legal with a friend. It's a lot more fun that way. Uh, Rob, before we start talking about sexual harassment and Alan Shore, a little housekeeping, I think, since, don't you think that's in order since this is a, uh, premiere podcast? Yes, of, I think we have lots of housekeeping that we need to attend to. Not lots. We're going to be quick because we want to get to the meat of That's it. That's right. We don't want to dilly-dally. Yeah. But uh, who, what, when, where, and why, just to use a little journalistic spin on things of what the podcast is all about and how Boston Legal fits in. Um, let's start with who. We just introduced ourselves. I'm Dana. Uh, I run a couple of websites associated with this, boston-legal.org and jamesspader.org, which James Spader plays Alan Shore. And uh, I also co-host a talk show. I've been doing that for almost seven years now on technology stuff. That's heard around the country, around the world, actually. Rob, why don't you give us a little peek into your soul here? My soul? I have a soul? I don't know. If I'm on this program talking about Boston Legal, I don't know if it's okay to have a soul, is it? Well, if you're going to be an attorney, no. <laughs> now just give us a little rundown. What do you do? What do I do? Well, I'm a radio talk show host. I talk about technology primarily. Ah, could it be the same one I work on? I think it is. We're co-hosts. Uh, we're co-hosts with the Web Talk Radio Show. So if you want to listen to that show, you certainly can flip over to webtalkradio.com and listen to Dana and I banter about technology issues. So that's what I do. And I, I talk with a lot of technology leaders from around the world about uh, leading-edge technology stuff, bleeding-edge technology topics. So well, more uh, than I that, have a good time with it. More than that, you're also sort of one of the authorities, one of the really handful of authorities on podcasting. You've been doing radio for a you know a long, long, long time, but uh, so have you. Yeah, so have I. Yeah, pretty much been, my whole life. Exactly. We'll talk about that in a second, but I, I just want to say now, isn't there something that you you're in Wikipedia under podcasts yeah. for having done sort of a milestone? Why don't you quickly? Well, tell that? we're both kind of known for doing a show that was the uh, the first podcast that was ever done of a broadcast radio show. Which is our web talk radio show. So and now everybody we're the first does one it. in the in the world to podcast a broadcast radio show. Yeah, that's good. And we're in iTunes and, and many, many, many different places that you can listen to the show. Lots and lots of places. It's tough sometimes just to keep up with it all. And and a bunch of radio stations around yep. the country. Uh next week, Rob will not be across the table from me. I'll oh be, darn. <laughs> well, he'll be downstairs. Uh I'll be joined by I'm really excited about this, Kyle Abney. He's the official reviewer for Boston Legal and Alias, and the show Lost. Um, at the old school version of TV.com, if you've been to TV.com, you may know that it used to be TVTome.com. Everybody loved TVTome. 
unfortunately, when CNET bought T- you know, TV Tome, they kind of gutted it, put it into this flashy new heavy download site. At any rate, they've lost, they lost a ton of good reviews, ton of good content on TV shows, and including all of Kyle Abney's reviews of Boston Legal Season 1. So they That's found just an, sickening, it's, actually. Oh, it's, it's sickening. And listen, let me tell you, all the volunteers that worked at TV Tome, they're not too keen about what CNET did to TV.com. No, but that's typical of a major corporation when they come in and buy something like that. that has uh, been so organic and grassroots driven. Yeah. They, they, they gut it usually. Well, Kyle will be uh, hosting, you know, we'll be hosting actually Kyle's reviews for season one at boston-legal.org. And he's agreed to write season two. So we're very lucky to have his insightful, witty, provocative reviews. And he's going to join me for most of the episodes, I hope as we do this podcast through season two. So we're not going to be as calm and sedate like we are right now for all the shows? I'll let Kyle do whatever he wants. Oh, you're going to open the door to provocatism, huh? <laughs> i got to keep up with David E. Kelly. Okay, who, what, when, where, why? We're on the what's. Uh, what, what is this? This is uh, just basically a couple people sitting around talking about the episode. We're going to play some sound bites. I've got about 13 minutes of sound bites, so you're going to be like you're watching the show practically. We're probably going to cover some news, a little news around the show, but mainly we're going to focus on the episode. Uh, we'll try and cover some news at the top of the hour, but or at the top of the show. But I do invite your voice. You're listening to this. You have an opinion on Boston Legal. You watched the episode last night. We have an 800 number for you to call. We have, of course, an email. So if you're shy, but we really want to hear your voice. Don't be fooled. Dana actually knows all the inside scoops. She's going to give you the inside scoop on what's happening with Boston Legal. So <laughs> listen for that news segment because you're going to hear a lot of interesting stuff. I well, think. actually, they should come to the website boston-legal.org to get news because I update that site probably more than President Bush gets updated, mm. which is probably not saying much. Mm, we're <laughs> getting into the political discussion already. Oh, uh, huh? yeah. Please call this number 1-800-986-8290. That's toll free in the U.S. Um, it's a voicemail. So you're not going to have to talk to me and you can call in the middle of the night after the episode if you want. But but call before mid-morning on uh, Wednesday because I'm going to use your comments. I want to know what you had to say. So so they don't have to worry about waking anybody up when no, they call this number? No. And this is kind of like American Idol or Rockstar in excess. You know, phone lines are open. Call immediately following the show. <laughs> or, like I said, email me at bostonillegal at gmail.com. This information is on the front page of the website as well at boston-legal.org. Uh, when? Who, what, when? Where, why? As I said, Wednesdays after Boston Legal Tuesdays. Remember, Boston Legal is on Tuesday, not Sunday at 10 o'clock, but everywhere except someplace in the middle of the country where it's on at 9. I know that darn Grey's Anatomy gets in the way, doesn't it, that Sunday time Yeah, we, we're not going to bash to Grey's because... It's we, a good show. Well, I, I, I watched it once, but I watched it because it's supposedly set here in Seattle. We're we're in the Pacific Northwest in Seattle. It doesn't always rain here. Well, it's it's always rough to be displaced by another show. It is, and we're going to still do great because we've got Commander-in-Chief as a lead-in. Who, what, when, where, why, and how? Let's let's look at the how. Rob, I want you to educate everybody a little bit on how they can get this show because it's going to be an MP3 show that they can download. But tell them a little bit about RSS, briefly. Well, yeah, like Dana was saying, there's really two ways you're going to be able to get the show. One is just coming to the website and downloading it right off of the website, or you can subscribe to the RSS feed, which you can... Uh, basically, open your browser, click on the little RSS orange little logo there. It'll pop open a browser that'll basically display a bunch of code on there. It's basically XML code. Uh, don't worry about any of that. Just go up to the um, browser uh, address bar, cut and paste that out of there. Uh, even if you want to just put it in like a notepad file so you can save it for when you download uh, like an RSS uh, feed reader, which basically will allow you to, to get access to all of the updates that Dana makes to the website. Um, dropped right into uh, like a little application that'll you just scroll through your list of RSS subscriptions and get right to the content. And then you can also get the show that way as well through if you use a podcast aggregation software uh, that's also will be linked to off of the website that you can get uh, the show delivered to you and possibly all the way down to your iPod if you happen to have an iPod or a Windows Media Player Base device. Boston Legal Mobile. <laughs> That's right. We're on the move. We're getting out there. Well, and it's not just us. Go ahead and get an RSS feeder, guys, because you can subscribe to blogs and news. Uh, everybody. Everybody with content on the web. Jump on the podcasting bandwagon. Yeah. That's right. Well, well and, RSS bandwagon. And we're, we're going to get this show listed in Odeo and in iTunes and a lot of the directories out there as well that will make it a lot easier to subscribe to the podcast. That's right. 
Um, and why? I'm going to just say why for last. The why are we doing this? Well, not a lot of shows. As okay, as Rob mentioned, bleeding edge, man. We're all about the bleeding edge. We got to do everything first or in the first group. We don't follow the herd. This we show is bleeding edge. What do you mean? I'm bleeding sitting here. So podcasts only started last sometime, you know, last year, late, you know, fall something ninety four, and there's not that many. There's a lot of podcasts. They're both. They're all pretty lame. But not that many for television entertainment There's shows. There's a couple of good ones out there. I mean, ours is one of them. Okay, go to iTunes and click on the podcast, which they just added, what, in about a month ago, section. You'll see a lot there. Click on the television movie section. Really, I think there's only a couple of ones based on TV shows. There's a yeah, Queer I, Eye one where Karsten comes on and gives tips, okay, how to be gay or whatever. Yeah, there's quite a few shows in there that talk about movies. There's like yeah. movie review podcasts, but there's very few that really have dived into television shows. Battlestar Galactica is in there. Yeah, and we're we're one of the first, I think, that actually is going to talk about the, the actual show and the yeah. topics and the episodes and things like that. Most of the other ones just kind of like banter about all sorts of strange stuff. Like what their cat did last night. I mean, this is about the excitement of most podcasts, but yeah. we're not going to be like that. Okay, so let's move on because we, we're belaboring a point that might bore some people. So, <laughs> No, that's not possible. Rob, there's some news I, w- I do want to share before we start talking about from whence we came really quick. This information is not all on the website, so you do need to watch, listen to the podcast. You all want to know about the ratings for the repeat of Boston Legal on August 23rd. Maybe we're not celebrating quite yet, but this still is the end of summer. The From Whence We Came episode, August 23, had a an, on all households having a television. It was a 3.5 rating. It was 6% share of all households watching TV. 6% were watching Boston Legal. It tied for 10th place for that night for shows on regular network, commercial-supported shows. Tommy Lee tied with it. Tommy Lee goes to college. And according to Jim. That's a pretty entertaining show, actually, that Tommy Lee one. Yes, it is. I do like Tommy. In adults 18 to 49, dropped a little bit more, 1.6 rating, uh, tied for 14th place with the office on, on the Fox network. Um, some other interesting dates to keep in mind. Of course, we all know September 27. Please watch the Boston Legal premiere. You call every friend you know to watch it. We want to have big rating numbers that night. That's a Tuesday. Also, uh, August 31st, which is just next week, is the postmark deadline for the at-home judging ballots to get to Ernst & Young for the Emmys. Again, James Spader and William Shatner are both up and nominated for Emmys. Their fate will be sealed on the 31st. When did they seal the envelope and mail it off to Ernst & Young? Do you think they have a chance of winning again? Yeah, of course. Of course. Of course. Uh, actually, I'll tell you, there's a, sort of like these fake sites that you can vote on who will win for the Emmys. And unfortunately for Best Actor... 24 is coming, you know, Kiefer Sutherland's coming in kind of high, and then that house dude, he's coming in second. James is third. Shatner's third on his little list. But that's unofficial, mm-hmm. and I think that these guys are fantastic, and they should win. I mean, James Spader won last year. And Emmy. he was an underdog, wasn't he? He was that time, too. Dead last, as Spader has often said. It was a slippery racetrack, and, you know. <laughs> he slipped right he, in he there. He slipped right in there. And Shatner won for the Golden Globe. Actually, he won the Emmy in the creative Emmys for guest star because in the practice he was considered a guest star for that year. The Emmy Awards are on September 18 at the Shrine Auditorium. If you're in LA, but be you won't there be able to get in. Square. But watch it on TV. Yeah. Yeah, this is actually interesting. Okay, we had a... I keep an eye on my uh, server logs for the Boston Legal website and James Spader website to some degree. It's kind of interesting to see how people arrive there. Um, last week... I had a visit from CBS. Uh, the, I should say CBS. CBS's IP visited the Boston Legal website. Just to remind you, Boston Legal's on ABC. Okay, so this is a competition. Dana keeps close track of those <laughs> server logs. And I think, I must say. There's some gems in here. Just in the last two months, I think it shows CBS has been to the site like 79 times. They, they come every day. I see them all the time. It also tells you how they got there. And they did a Google search. A lot of people find the site because it comes right up if you type in Boston Legal and Google. They did a Google search on the search term, contact writers, Boston Legal TV. So I'm just saying there, if you write for Boston Legal, CBS is trying to reach you. Just just doing my service here. (laughs) (laughs) What a service that you're doing. Who knows what they're up to? Maybe maybe they want to get a show too. By the way, uh, that was CBS New York. Mostly I get visited by... CBS Agora Hills, California is the LA version, but New York's trying to reach your writers. I don't know if that's David or whoever, Peter, Scott, 
whoever yeah, is whoever still writing is. for it yeah. now. <laughs> One other little thing, I just I have kind of nudge ABC here. Bless their soul. Thank goodness they they bought and are presenting Boston Legal to us. So I love them. But you know, just like just like a husband, sometimes you hate them. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. So CBS in their great wisdom, of course, went on the, you know on their Boston Legal site, updated it to show the next episode, which will air next Tuesday. It's the Season one, episode 14, Till We Meet Again, better known as the Barroom Brawl episode. <laughs> in the summary of the episode, they included this description. Lori and Brad serve as second chair for a new attorney Schmidt has poached from another law firm who refers to himself as Sexy Man. Hello, that was not true in February, and it's not true now. This is a storyline that was filmed. We have images that were on abcmedianet.com, and, and the guy, the sexy, the sexy man guy, He's one of the villains from one of the Bond films. Nice guy. Never made it. Cutting room floor. So, ABC, I'm just saying, you might want to look at the content you put up on your page and kind of update it. Well, whoever's updating the site doesn't have the same level of passion and following that you have, Dana, on this particular topic. Nobody matches my level of passion. That's right. You should know that. Without further ado, let's talk about... From Whence We Came, which was Season 1, Episode 12, first aired January 16, 2005, which I might add was the night of the 62nd annual Golden Globes, if you can remember back to January 16 when you originally saw From Whence We Came. So are you a Boston legal trivia buff? Yeah. It was it was the night that William Shatner won for Best Supporting Actor in a Drama. Mm-hmm. That was and an exciting night, as I recall. Believe you me, definitely TiVo was in play. Or, you know, BitTorrent. I don't know, because we wanted to watch the Golden Globes. We wanted to see a Spader one, because Spader was nominated. He lost to the Deadwood guy. But Shatner won, and it was tremendously exciting. And, of course, we're always looking for them in the crowd. And yet we had Boston Legal on the other channel. That was hard. I know. It was. It was hard to choose between the two. But, you know, our website saw seven times the normal traffic that night at boston-legal.org. And let us start with a quote from Paul Lewiston, the voice of reason. How bad is he? He's intermittently brilliant and nonsensical, often at the same time. And he's technically still in charge of litigation? Which is the reason I called you back. He is an enormous rainmaker, Shirley. And yet... Lock and load. Paul is having his second thoughts about Denny, but he calls him a rainmaker. I mean, rainmaker is in used in a lot of different industries, but there's a legal lingo version of rainmaker. Do you know what that is, Rob? No, why don't you fill us in? Because we have people listening from all over the world, so, you know, the jargon needs to be explained sometimes. I guess in the law firms, as I understand it, and I talked to someone who actually does work in the law firm, the bigwigs in the firm, and we're talking Denny here, do not have to be bothered or troubled with billable hours and clients and wins. You know, they really are there as a figurehead. They're there to garner and schmooze with clients and, more importantly, potential bigwigs that they want to bring into the firm to basically pay everybody's, well, pay the overhead, really. So a rainmaker is basically somebody that makes it rain money? I think so. Is that essentially what it means? You know, I think it might hark back to the whole diviner who, when we had a drought, he would be called in and mystical things would ensue. Also, a rainmaker, of which Denny's very good at, can just mobilize or immobilize all the associates, all the junior partners, whatever, to do his work for him. Then he just shows up in the courtroom, sitting at the table, looking thoughtful, pensive, and considered. And Denny does this throughout the episode in the trial that he's in. Although at one point, he, toward the end of the trial, he leans over to Schmidt and says, this is boring crap. <laughs> well, no, I, all he has to do to make his point is just say his name, Denny Crane. Oh, you did it. I had to do it. I think I need to put some reverb on that one. He's a rainmaker. They might keep him around. I think season two, we'll see a few challenges coming his way. Uh, the other point I wanted to make kind of before we start going storyline by storyline through this episode is the use of... Well, what I like to call bad words. And now, when did this change, Rob? I mean, network television couldn't say certain things. But apparently, David E. Kelly didn't get the network note on that. <laughs> well, there's only certain words you can't say. You're talking like George Carlin from the 70s. But, I mean, I don't know. He says penis. Let me play That's you. not part of the list. I'm sorry. It's, it's a piece of uh, male anatomy. It's not a swear word. and It's not vulgar. Sorry. Actually, Schmidt says this. Is it different when it's a woman saying it? All right, let's listen. Remember the good old days when you liked to know what was going on? When you could go from your office to the elevator without a roadmap? Didn't need a roadmap to 
find my way around your body, did I, Shirley? I wouldn't know. I was usually asleep. I once had her and Streisand at the same time. Remember that? I do, Denny. <laughs> and not to burst your bubble, but that was a female impersonator. Perhaps the penis might have been your cue. <laughs> Denny is, is, needs to be enlightened a little bit, huh? <laughs> That's great. Actually, um, he goes on. Allow me. Denny Gray. She can still pop my chubby. Somehow I don't think pumping your chubby is necessarily part of that swear word list. Oh, he doesn't stop there. Have a listen. Why have I been taken off this case? You haven't. You've been relieved of the grunt work because it's beneath you. Relief is a soft word for discharge. I recognize that emotion when I say one. I am the master of the soft discharge. You refer again to when we were intimate. Now pay attention and pretend you have a clue. The soft discharge. <laughs> I love that banter. <laughs> Listen, I have no problem with the words, but it is interesting. That, okay, if you know a little bit about television, network notes are what allow the network to either see the script or watch the, the filmed product maybe prior to editing. I don't know, actually. And then send back notes to the writers to sort of maybe rework something. Censorship, you know? Censorship. Mm -hmm. And apparently that hasn't happened in just about 18 years or so of David E. Kelly creating great content on television, or so he claims. Until last season on Boston Legal, remember the Let Sales Ring episode when they they talked about Fox News and they talked oh. about Bill O'Reilly and everybody had a cow. And anyway, I won't go into that yet. Maybe if we ever listen to Let Sales Ring again as a repeat, and we can talk about that. But I actually have a quote here I'm going to play for you, not from the show, but from a panel discussion where the whole cast and creatives of Boston Legal were at the William Paley television festival in los angeles in march and i attended and scott coffer and i believe this is scott coffer who was executive producer at the time and writer as well but he's now recently just a few weeks ago i guess moved on to paramount pictures to develop series he referred to the one time they remember getting a network note other than the let sales ring episode and you may remember this if you watched last year when we had cuckoo for cocoa puffs we got the network note that we can't say it <laughs> because of commercial considerations. It was a sales issue. So the next time David wrote it, he wrote it cuckoo for cuckoo puffs. <laughs> How strange fate is. Isn't it? <laughs> Not every day you can open up the script and read cuckoo for cuckoo puffs. The episode where Denny Crane utters cuckoo for cuckoo puffs. <laughs> they had to change it from cocoa puffs. <laughs> well, that's a brand placement. You don't want to do that. I know. You got to get paid for those kind of things. <laughs> All right, I'm going to take this, uh, what I'd like to propose is we take this storyline by storyline as we talk about From Whence We Came, and of which there were, as you well know, most shows do have three or four, in this case, I think, four main storylines that they weave in and out. There's a couple additional that we'll cover that are may not be true storylines, but are definite sections of the show. Uh, first, we'll talk about is the intelligent design storyline. That was the serious court case that Denny Shirley and Lori Colson worked on. And then we'll talk about Alan Shore's sexual harassment, yes, again, of his secretary, Nora. We'll talk about wonderful, horrible Bernard Farian, the evil skillet-welding serial killer that had three episodes. He doesn't seem that evil. No, he's not. But Alan says he's evil, so. And Sally Heap's adjournment from both the show and in real life and the series as her character. And then Catherine Piper's cameo return at the end of the episode which was quite delightful so first intelligent design rob let's let walter fife who was the superintendent of the middlesex school district explain the case are you being sued you promised you'd answer the school board voted to include creationism along with darwinism in the eighth grade science curriculum Teachers refused. I terminated their employment. They sued. Massachusetts is a blue state. God has no place here. God has no place in blue states, huh? Interesting. <laughs> yeah. 
That's funny. Well, yeah. Because, you know. We could, we could go in a little more detail on that if we want to. Denny is a red state man. He is. A I red mean, state he man. lives in a blue state, but he is extremely GOP, isn't he? Yes, he is. What do you think, Rob, about uh, David E. Kelly's penchant for weaving politics and, dare I say, just liberal politics into his show? Well, I, I mean, a lot of Hollywood um, producers do that because they are liberal and they see the world that way and they like to throw those punches in where they can, you know, to try and drive the message home that, uh, being liberal and being on the right are not necessarily compatible with each other and in the programming that they produce. That's fine. I think that's great. Of course, well, I, I agree with them. They so. certainly have a right to do that. It's their content, their production. They, the only issue that would come up would be as if the, the network had a bent towards one side or the other and yeah. would object. Well, you know, and it's interesting that, um, that he can do, well, he, all of, yeah, whoever does it, I don't want to generalize it, all of Hollywood does this can do this in an entertaining way because, well, just like good old fake news over at The Daily Show, you know, it's maybe some way, the only, the only way most of us, some of us can get our well, or politics. All, or the <laughs> fake news over at Fox News, too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. You know, and if, if you do want to call that 800 number, just ask for Rob, okay? <laughs> oh, I just want to say, Walter Fife, he was the guy we just heard talk. One of those guys you see... The character actors that you know him. Oh, I know Walter Five. He, I had to look him up at IMDb because I didn't really know where I'd seen him from. And yeah, I, I IMDb'd him. <laughs> and sure enough, Sam Anderson is the actor. Um, which interestingly, he was a teacher at Antelope Valley College in Lancaster, California. So well suited to play the superintendent of a school district. He had eight pages of credits. I mean, that's a lot of credits. He's been everywhere, but I didn't regularly recognize a lot of stuff till I hit ER. Now, if you've seen him, you've seen him on ER, if you've seen any of those episodes, because he's a doctor there. But Rob, did you place him from Pasadena? Mm-mm, no, okay, I don't the, remember him. The show Pasadena, which was on Fox a few years ago, kind of got canceled after three episodes. Sorry. But but we've recently seen the whole series mm-hmm. on DVD. We won't get into that too much. And uh, he was actually, there's an interesting six degree thing going on there, because he played the psych- a psychologist that treated... Mark Valley's character, Mark Valley, who plays Brad Chase on Boston Legal, Mark Valley was in Pasadena as well. They were together. Actually, I don't think they have any scenes together, but because it was done sort of in a referring situation. But there's that. And also, he was in Nowhere Man, this uh, Sam Anderson dude, which we loved. Another great show that was canceled too early. Bruce Greenwood was the star of that show. And also... Sam Anderson was in T.J. Hooker. We all know the sixth degree there. That's a, that was a show starring William Shatner and Heather Locklear, who's coming up on the premiere episode for season two. So Sam's been around and kudos for David E. Kelly. I think he does reemploy a lot of his character actors in several of his series. I think, um, I think I saw that Sam Anderson had been in Boston Public. On to really more of the intelligent design. Did you, did you kind of see something with Denny's? demeanor throughout this entire episode because he's mainly in that storyline did did it seem to you rob that he didn't have a lot of clarity that he was more in the befuddled part of his impending dementia that they're kind of playing with well i think that they they really played it up in that particular episode he seems to get better um later on in the in the episodes in that particular you know series well actually i think it's digressing a little bit because remember this is uh was it episode what was this episode 12 out of 17. Well, they're so certainly it, playing up that whole progression of him, you know, kind of going crazy and dementia and, you know, the whole Alzheimer's. Forgetful. Yeah. yeah. You know, so, Let's just say it's senior moments. <laughs> yeah. But it's also humorous, too. But it's also sometimes, I think, a little, you know, I think you feel sorry for him a little bit I sometimes. Do. I actually was, dis- I was, I know it's a story and I know it creates pathos, but I didn't like, it made me feel like Denny was being made to be an idiot by being like, well, do I have anything a, to do with this? Well, or a clown. I mean, that's yeah. kind of the, the impression that you get sometimes is that he's... That people just kind of roll their eyes at him. You know, he's so superficial sometimes in how he looks at things. But but if you look deeper, you know, you can see a lot of emotion there, too. I love Denny more than just about any but Brad Chase. He's a wonderful character. I mean, I would I would watch Denny do anything. And you're also building a Mark Valley website, too. Yes, I am. We can talk about that when it's actually built. <laughs> but go to mark-valley.com and, and you you'll see You can see a little bit there. there. You've got some videos. Oh, some great videos and pictures. Another interesting thing, one more thing I do want to say on the intelligent design storyline, It's it had to do with the ending of the show. Now, if you've watched any of the episodes, you probably know 
that David Kelly loves to write in the epilogue as occurring on the balcony. Generally, it's a balcony scene almost always with Denny Crane and Alan Shore. Mm -hmm. Smoking cigars. Yes. Kind of halfway recapping sort of the episode, but sometimes completely esoterically, you know, off the charts as far as what they talk about. Well, this one was one of two and maybe three shows, episodes that did not have Alan or Denny on the balcony. On the balcony was... Shirley Schmidt and Lori Colson, who worked together on the intelligent design trial. And they went out there. They smoked cigars. cigars yeah. They um, they said that this is basically their girls club, not like the boys club, which, by the way, was a David E. Kelly series. What can I say? Called girls club. But that's not what they meant. They referred to the web, the, the Red Sox winning. There was a lot of topical stuff in there. It is Boston after all. But I thought that was interesting. Now, I want you listening to think if you see if you can remember, I challenge you, what was the other episode? And who was on the balcony when it wasn't Denny and Alan? There was at least one other, and I think there was two others. I I, I remember Mark Valley walking out there one time. Oh, I'm not talking about that. Yes, he did make a little guest appearance in the balcony. I, I ascertain that Brad and or Diddy Brad, yeah. spent many, many evenings out on the balcony drinking scotch and smoking cigars. And then Alan had to come and usurp the whole thing. It's not Brad. It was two other characters. So call this 800 number and uh, go to the website. Email me. Uh, bostonillegal at gmail.com call me at 1-800-986-8290 and tell me the other one and I'll, I'll put you on the air okay let's move on to more exciting territory before I tell you what it is let's let Alan kind of give you a clue of what this storyline is all about Nora Outstanding I give it a three thank you Well, Dana, I know what he was talking about. What is that, Rob? Her sweater. <laughs> and he gave it a three? Out of what, though? Out of five or out of ten? I think he's probably used to tens. And good old Nora, what a trooper. She said, thank you, but she was a little scared about it. And Nora does actually have a little bit of an issue. She's conflicted. She'd really, I think Alan has taken it a little far with his, what she's termed sexual harassment, which I term is the innate nature of Alan Shore. So. Yeah, that's <laughs> nothing new about him. Let's just let her explain, as she did to Shirley, the part that got her a little bit concerned over this escalating issue. How can I help? Well, this is very awkward. I'm not even sure you're the right person to come to, but you're a woman. That's very kind. I work for Alan Shore, and in many, many ways, he's an excellent boss. God knows he isn't boring. But I feel that he's been inappropriate with me. How so? Well, he compliments my figure daily, and he just kind of does it in a lascivious way. He also ranks my sweaters. He ranks your sweaters? Yes. Which ones he thinks I look best in. This is a three. He asked if he could take one home for the weekend. He told me he has dreams about me. What kind of dreams? All kinds. Uh, once he dreamt that I was just ahead. No body. Just ahead. And everywhere he went, he would carry me along, wrapped in a muffler, to keep him company. And every so often, I would whisper terrible, dirty things in his ear. It feels a little like harassment. You think? You think? <laughs> I don't know. Was that harassment or not? Shirley talked to Alan about it, and then later she... Nora also spoke with Alan about it. I think he was genuinely surprised. Do you remember the look on his face? Like a not really shock, but kind of an innocent, like, I'm terribly sorry. I had no idea. And which is, you know, for most of us would clearly, we would see the line glaring, but you know, Alan has no regard for lines. You got to remember he's an attorney. <laughs> so he's very skilled at, uh, you know, playing like he's this um, innocent participant in this whole drama. Part of it is, and I, this is why it's so, t I think it's really relevant in a way to a lot of people who work in an office, is that Nora was kind of playing along. She, she likes him enormously. Just this part she would like extracted from his personality, which Alan very carefully explains to you that he would if he could. It's not possible. Yeah. This is him. This is who he is. But, you know, it's kind of hard because she feels a little guilty like she led him on. 
but then she didn't want it to go certain, you know, too far. Well, I'm sure she actually, a little bit of her probably enjoyed the attention. I mean, most women like to be told that they have a, a gorgeous figure and complimenting on uh, various parts of their existence. So I, I, I can see where she was a little conflicted. That makes sense to me. But also I can see why she probably took some exception to it, too, because he kind of goes a little too far, I think. But that's typical Alan Shore, though. He, he said he would you know, try and make it right with her, and he did speak to her in his office. He said, Nora, I'm not going to change who I am. I can work on it by leaps and bounds. I'll never make it. When I look at a woman, most women, my mind wanders invariably to sexual fantasy of a broad and curious nature, unfettered by moral restraint. I can't help it. I realize this candor could come back to haunt me. I mean, he is giving her ammunition for the, the lawsuit. Can you indeed file a claim? But when I look at you, I often conjure up the most intimate and explicit of distractions. That's not going to change. <laughs> this is typical James Spader-ish type of um, storyline, right? I mean, he's done many movies that kind of had this kind of twisted sexual innuendo, sexual tension kind of thing going on. Well, who here? And I, I have to borrow um, basically this opinion from, thank goodness, Vanilla, my friend, who did state this, and it, I couldn't agree more. Who here does not think of Mr. E. Edward Gray from the film Secretary um, when he tells Lee, his secretary, i.e. Nora, <laughs> that she has to go or he won't stop? And that was a movie about sort of S&M. Mm -hmm. Also, when he then told Shirley, Alan Shore told Shirley that, uh, please get me another secretary, Shirley, somebody more willing to be harassed. I mean, who didn't? Also conjure up E. Edward Gray's flashing secretary wanted sign that was outside of his law firm. With, remember the little white lights around it? He was always going through secretaries. Yeah. <laughs> well, and very few of the other girls or women, I guess I should say, in the uh, law firm there uh, takes exception to very much of his speaking and forward behavior. Yeah. So she's the exception, not the rule. I really try not to, to put character into actor, because I know they're different people. It's character. But I even saw uh, Spader on Conan O'Brien talking about how, I mean, he was genuinely, he was trying to instruct school Conan about this, because Conan was like Mr. Innocent. It doesn't matter who you're with, do you not get a sexual vibe with just about anybody? I mean, you're either looking at how to bed them, or, or thinking about them, or, you know, even with a guy, there's sort of like this sexual, you know, guy to guy, there's sort of like this... You know, testosterone, not a, I want to sleep with you guy, but like, who's better in mm -hmm. that? It's like the, the rooster. The, the whole rooster phenomenon. Right. Yeah. Speaking of that, did, didn't he talk a lot about eggs? <laughs> yeah, it's classic. We're talking about Spader on Conan. Spader on Conan. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's, he spent one interview completely talking about the best way to prepare eggs and how sensuous, sensual, sensual, they're very sensual. sexy. Yeah. And then, uh, then on a repeat performance, which I'm convinced Conan rebooked him. Because he wanted he had to actually, finish his egg story, right? yeah. And then, then it was all about truffles, the wonderful mushroom imported from France, and how, ironically, they also use eggs in in, in the way to like cure them. Both eggs and truffles in both interviews lead to sex and or masturbation in a bathtub. I don't know, it's like this is. Hmm, I'm this not is sure Spader. what the connection is on that. The one. thing with Spader is he says all these things completely straight faced, and you're never quite sure if he's. You know, he doesn't play the PR game. You know, he doesn't like... Why doesn't he ever talk about <laughs> eggs and food on Boston Legal? If that's part of his persona. Well, I, I think that's Spader. That's Spader. That's sure. not Alan Shore. Sure, it, it's hookers and um, boardroom tables and Tara. It's a different thing. And under desks. Oh my goodness. We'll get into that. In fact, why not now? <laughs> Actually, that leads us to the next storyline. So are you implying that it's always a good time to be under the desk? <laughs> yeah. This was, uh, well, okay. Bernard Farian. He is um, a wonderfully short, gifted character that came to this episode, actually a three-episode arc, I believe. I understand he's going to be in season two unless they've, they've edited the heck out of that episode, and we don't know when it's going to air. Because not going to, I don't think, be in the first few. But I won't give any spoilers about what happens to Bernard. Or, as Tara in her British accent puts it, I think it's Bernard. But Bernie, we'll just call him Bernie. He dispatches his mother in, in a couple episodes previous. With, with a, a skillet. skillet, of course, of all things. Whack <laughs> on the head. <laughs> well, let's set up this storyline by using really the classic scene that you just alluded to between 
Tara, who's watching television in her office, and Alan Shore. Yeah, she doesn't really look like she's working very hard in this scene. We have very little information other than the victim was in her 50s and that she was bludgeoned to death. It is the second death in a week that has rocked this idyllic little street. Just last Friday, the victim's next-door neighbor died as well from a head trauma. You may recall the son was briefly held and then released. Not what? whether these two cases are connected. It's Bernie. Who? A little skillet-wielding client from last week. He's whacked another one. He promised me he wouldn't. Does that mean you're finished? Obviously, she didn't want him to be finished at that point. She was a little surprised. What did we not hear? I mean, what did we not see when we heard this clip? Well, we saw it. We just didn't see it right now. (laughs) But uh, uh, Alan was under the desk in front of her chair. I'm not quite sure what he was doing. Why don't you explain? I don't think we need to. (laughs) (laughs) He was attending to business? Naughty boy. Naughty, naughty boy. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Leslie Jordan is the actor. Again, a wonderful character actor you've seen a million times that played Bernie Farian. And like Sam Anderson, he's worked all over town uh, from Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday, to most notably Will and Grace. He plays Beverly Leslie. And he's worked for David E. Kelly on Boston Public. He actually was in Murphy Brown with Candace Bergen. He plays Shirley Smith. And he was on Nash Bridges, which was also an episode that Jody Lynn O'Keefe, who plays Nora the Secretary, also acted in. So I thought that was interesting. There's a lot of six degrees with Leslie Jordan. Now going back to the actual story, let's hear um, from the scene where Alan confronts Bernie right after hearing this news that there's been a second murder. What have you done? There's an awful lot of excitement. I saw, both live and on the news. You've been flailing again with your frying pan, haven't you, Bernard? I never meant for it to happen. I am very disappointed. I gave you a terrific speech last week, Bernie, appealing to the kind inner you. It was wonderful, poignant even, and now you've completely mooted it by committing murder again. I never meant to kill her. Well, what, you just went over there to make an omelet and things got out of hand? She knew. She heard an argument between me and Mother. She was out there watering her stupid plants in the winter, for God's sakes. The woman is not right. Or wasn't right. Alan, she said she was going to call the police. She said what she heard would not be hearsay. She looked it up. She said because we were arguing, it would it would qualify as an excited blutterance. Suddenly, the skillet was in my hand, and I swung. Blutterance isn't even a real word, much less a defense. You've murdered somebody over a fake word. He doesn't seem like the typical serial killer. You know, it's interesting to hear Alan Shore berate someone like this i mean the, the man yeah, was angry exactly he's like you know, really let him down for some reason I, I don't know what it is about bernie that uh, really got to alan shore in this scene i didn't understand that the first time around either and i and it took some reading and some rewatching in this episode and i think we'll let tara explain that shortly about why it seemed to affect alan so much more because god knows he's he's represented scum and Bernie is actually very charming and almost like an accidental murderer. Bernie has this to say in response. I'm not representing you this time. You must, if it comes to that. I won't. You've let me down terribly. Uh, but, but you said that you stood for the little man. I'm little. And he is an adorable little man. And Bernie really cares about what Alan thinks of him that's the that's the interesting part about it It was almost like uh he looked at him as almost like a like a brother or a family figure or something like that it was just and i guess it all boils down to the fact he's pretty lonely and alan's the only one that's really cared about him i guess yeah i i think you're right i i guess i didn't pick up on that immediately either but bernie does repeatedly throughout the episode ask tara because he's real he's assigned to tara because alan will not talk to him and he asks, you know, how's Alan? And he does it in such a sweet way. How's Alan? At one point, he gives this statement, which I think is pretty telling about why Bernie actually kills when it doesn't seem within his nature, because believe you me, he's a mild man. The police want to question me. That's really a stunner, Bernie. They arrested you last week for whacking your mother. You got off on a technicality. Now, the woman next door turns up dead from a blow to the head. What could possibly make them think of you? 
Should I talk to them? I wouldn't. Where you once were convincing, you now are anything but. I don't like it when you speak to me in these hurtful tones. I am not an evil person. Yes, you are, Bernie. You've killed two people inside of a week by definition that makes you evil. This last killing was premeditated, calculated. You went over there, as you said, to dispatch a human being. You're a little bug. And like a bug, you will one day get stepped on. Now go away. I do not represent evil people. I asked you to leave. May I say one more thing? You cut me to the quick. I am a bug. My mother would often tell me I am nothing more than an insignificant little... She used to call me a, a dung beetle. When I killed her, as she lay on the floor, for the first time, I felt alive. I had actually done something. Perhaps a part of me sought to relive that power. But today, I, I, I do. I, I feel evil. I need your help, Alan. I guess he was just defending his freedom, wasn't he, when he dispatched the second. You have to really give David Kelly credit. And he wrote this script by himself. It wasn't co-written it's with It's an unusual else. character. Because there's a lot of truth in, in a lot of us, I suppose, in Bernie. Some people take abuse over and over from parents, from spouses, and they can... They can snap. And he feels remorseful. But then not in the moment. He didn't feel remorseful in a sense. But he feels... Um, when he kind killed. Of, kind of, you know, he feels avenged. I mean, he feels like he's gotten over this burden that he's been under his whole life. It is interesting that his remorse was in that he lost the two people that would actually talk to him. Mm-hmm. Which, does that make you fear for Ellen Shore's life? Well, Of course, Ellen's not talking to him, so... That's true. Alan has to watch out for his ex-girlfriend, Christine, actually, yeah, she may that's right. in her car. She'll, she'll run him over sometime. So in the final scene that we'll, we'll cover here with um, the story of Bernie, and his story is not over, sadly. Uh, this one is after he asks Tara about Alan. You know, how is Alan? I miss Alan. Why does he not want to talk to me? That kind of thing. And Tara kind of explains it, which is helpful to all of us. You can go. How's Alan? Honestly, I think he's hurt. You hear all the time how clients are let down by their lawyers. Sometimes it's the attorney who's let down by the client. As silly as it may sound, the cynical, jaded Alan Shaw gets a bit desperate sometimes to believe in the goodness of mankind. He found, I think, some hope in you. And you crushed it. Like a bug. He crushed Alan Shore's bug. Interesting. They both were terribly hurt. I think mm-hmm. both Alan and Bernie were damaged by caring for each other and then basically the situation that occurred. And at one point, Bernie says, Tara, I can understand you. I hating the situation just don't hate me you know that i'm paraphrasing that was a sad one and let's move on to the storyline that i also think was actually poignant this is sally heap's adjournment from the series the actress of lake bell's adjournment from the, the show as david e. kelly has said before casting is an inexact science it's not a science actually you don't know how everybody's going to fit you don't know how the audience is going to respond i hate to say it but i read plenty of message board postings that were not did not feel warm towards Sally, and I don't know why. The character, I don't know if it was the actress. I mean, I think she's great. But well, I think it really came down to her performance as a lawyer. I think in, in the end, now people said that it was because she was sleeping around, but everybody in that office sleeps around. So there, there must have been something more to this than than just the, the, the fact that she was sleeping with Alan and Brad. Let's hear what happened at the very beginning of the episode before the opening credits. This is a scene with Shirley in the conference room with Denny and Paul, and she's asked to see Sally. I've taken the liberty of reviewing some of your other work, Sally. You're a very good lawyer, but not good enough for letting you go. You're firing me? I'm sorry. 
done a lot of good work here. Yes, you have. And any number of law firms would be happy to have you. This one, unfortunately, just doesn't happen to be one of them. Are you in on this? Uh, am, am, am I in on this? It was my decision. Paul and Denny still remain strong supporters. We're streamlining a little and I have to make some tough calls. I'm sorry. How can you come in here and in one week fire someone you don't even know? I'm Schmidt. And at that point, actually very actually jarringly the theme music for boston legal which is very upbeat started up and so it was a very moving scene and then it just didn't mesh for me to have like this music kind of start up and destroy this sad moment this was sort of the beginning of the show and usually they have something really funny at the beginning of the show and they did actually have a quick quick moment that we played at the beginning of this show where denny was talking about his chubby but well, I got a sense that they they were really ushering um, Sally out the door pretty quick on this one. Yeah, it, it seemed know, at like least they, that's the impression I got that the writers were were kind of in a hurry to in and out. push her out. Sally is reacting halfway through the episode to Brad asking for his support and help in helping her keep the job. Sally, I'll talk to her, but other than that... You can't pull some strings. What about Alan Shore? He's the one that pulls rabbits. He's not a partner. You are. Besides, I slept with Alan Shore. How objective can you... You also slept with me. Do you ever think that might be part of the problem? That was unfair. Kick me while I'm down. I guess I should have expected it. Yeah, I didn't realize that Brad was a partner. Did you? Junior partner. Junior partner. Relatively that, new that, junior That's partner. what it was. That's what it was. But yeah, I think Brad was just hurt on that one. I think that's why he said what he said. It wasn't because it was true was the reason she was getting right. let go. It's interesting. What you didn't see was that she actually went to slap him and he, being a former Marine, very buff, dispatched that one quickly. Blocked that move. She tried to slap him again, blocked that move. He basically held her and, and you know, true to Brad's gentle nature he just let her speak you know he doesn't argue he doesn't debate much um as far as in personal relationships but you know they've never this is a big thing they have never in the show developed at all what happened between sally and brad it was addressed in the first episode head cases and that was it and of course as we all know <laughs> brad was absent for a lot of season one i think this is changing they've said but this makes me want to know more it's interesting that she said to him I would, I should have expected that, you know, you would throw that back in my face. Like Brad was cruel, which of course does not fit with his character at all. He's not a cruel man. Well, she's hurt too. She's so, hurt too. So she's just reacting. At the end, while she's preparing to leave, I just wanted to play Sally's final speech, you know, as a, a tribute to a, a great gal. When are you leaving? Is there a big rush? I didn't mean it like that. I'm leaving now. Tonight. You know, for what it's worth, Shirley can be very draconian, and when she makes up her mind, it's I, not... I have nothing against Shirley. In fact, she didn't even really hurt me. Shirley doesn't know me. You do. Lori does. Alan does. A lot of people, none of whom took issue with Shirley. The silent majority has spoken, Brad, with a resounding roar. Every knock is a boost. I'm going to cling to that and a few other cliches for a while. And then you'll all see me again. In court, across the deposition table, you'll all see me again. That's a problem.
you know, it showed her leaving her office with her box, personal belongings, and saying goodbye to one person, her secretary, hugging her. And Alan watched her through his glass wall as he was talking to Tara, looked sad. And I think he was sad over Bernie. I think he was sad in a way over Sally, but he, he was already with Tara. And he said, I hate this job. Tara did not know what he was talking about. I, th- I think assuming Bernie. Alan Shore, who doesn't only do things because he loves them, felt that way about his job at that moment. But not to just dwell on, on her. I thought it, uh, on Alan, I thought it was interesting that Brad came in there. He was the only one. He, he actually made several attempts to talk to her about it. He seemed the only one to really care, even though pretty much no one else, at least on the show, showed any remorse or sadness for her or tried to help her. Well, I don't think anybody's going to stand up uh, against uh, Shirley Schmidt in this regard because I think it's generally known that um, Sally was a, was fairly weak as an attorney. And that that's what the law firms are all about. Yes. Is winning. It's winning. It's billable hours. And it's, you know, it's like any profession, I guess. They measure you by how fast, how quick, and what your turnaround is. And she just didn't measure up in that sense. However, I think there might have been a little bit of, you know, Shirley saw her as a, she has made cracks before about her attire. Sally has been a free spirit with her attire. Didn't fit in necessarily in that sense. Professionalism is a big thing when you're an attorney, I think. This is probably me just reading it in, but I think there was a little bit of real life going. There was a ra- reality show behind the fictional show, of course, because Sally was being fired. She's being fired on the show. Lake Bell was fired. And, uh, but you know, her last speech where she said, you'll see me again across the deposition table. Well, it's in a sense that happened because it wasn't there very long thereafter that she, it was announced that Lake Bell was picked up as a lead in what's now called Surface. That's the final, I think, title of the fall 2005 show on NBC. So you can still see Sally Heap, aka Lake Bell, whatever you want to call her, in a sort of science fiction kind of under the sea scary monster kind of show. So she's not coming back as an attorney there that they will <laughs> see on the other side of the counter. More drama. Drama. Okay. I don't know if there's any sex. At the, there at always the, has to be sex at on the these TV shows. TCA up front, which is when the television critics come and grill the panel. Her show was up on the platform, and they asked her why she, why did David E. Kelly fire her? It was a very uncomfortable situation. She was like, I don't know. You need to ask him. I'm not really sure. I want to know. You weren't pulling in the ratings. We have one more storyline to cover. And that would be the return of the wonderful Catherine Piper, played by Betty White. I think we all loved her in the practice. She came on for the Dedham, Massachusetts arc of three episodes when Alan Shaw went to Dedham, his boyhood town, to defend his friend Paul Stewart. And Betty White played Catherine Piper, his uh, neighbor, who they had a special relationship. Yes, they did. And poop in a bag is part of it. <laughs> Let's let that scene play out here. Alan. Hello. Mrs. Piper? You remember. <laughs> oh, I always say, shake a man's hand with dog poop on your glove, he'll remember you for life. I remember you because I trick-or-treated at your house. How are you, dear? You don't look well. What are you doing here? I'm applying for the position of your secretary, of course. I heard what happened to the last one, and I must say, your problem, most people aren't able to see that beneath your slick, insensitive exterior, deep down, you really are a douchebag. I get that, Alan. You'd have no misunderstanding with me. No one delivers scatological talk like Betty White. (laughs) What's amazing about it is she gets the job. (laughs) This to me was... a. Not just me, but why in the heck would a woman 80-some miles away in Dedham, Massachusetts, hear about an opening when Alan said, Shirley, you need to get me a new secretary. Did Shirley know Betty? I don't, excuse me, Shirley know Catherine? I don't think so. Did Catherine read the, the Boston Globe and look for, I don't think there was time to put an ad in there. I don't know. Maybe it was explained in the original script. Maybe we just need to suspend disbelief and enjoy it. I loved the way Alan Shore at the very beginning of the scene went, Mrs. Piper? In this way that he does it, that's kind of stilted and confused and almost boy-like. It sounded like he was a child, you know. I, I thought that was really cute. Yeah, it's like they have a special relationship, and she actually likes him, I think. Else she wouldn't have driven all that way to try and 
be his attorney. I think she loves to rib him and give him a hard time. I just want to play. I have one more quote to play for you. And this is actually a Betty White quote. This is, again, from that Boston legal panel discussion that was at the television festival in March. And she was on the on the stage and talked about how her special relationship with David E. Kelly, as he's used her before, and how um, he asked this 80-year-old woman to basically curse a lot. <laughs> David somehow sees a different side of Betty White. <laughs> In Ally McBeal, he had me a pill pusher. I had me a pill. I was trying to get Ally to take pills and so we could take them together. And uh, I especially like the suppositories because they gave you a little giggle. <laughs> But then, on Classic, I was this old woman up in the wilds of Maine with a mouth like a truck driver. And little grandmothers across an airport will say, oh, loved you in late class, and I always say, I apologize for the language. Oh, no, that was well. When I heard I was going to get a shot at the practice, just the, the, the small part, I was a, your friendly neighborhood blackmailer. And then when Boston Legal came along and I found out it was still Catherine Piper, it's a very small part, but I'm still rotten. <laughs> I don't know, David, you see a whole new side. A whole side. Yeah, I don't know about you, but... Uh... I didn't realize that Betty White had the sense of humor that she has. I mean, you just listen to that the room and the reaction to her speaking. It's like everything out of her mouth is funny. It's like I'm surprised she wasn't uh, a stand-up comedian in the past. Rob, did you miss out on the whole Golden Girls era? I guess I did. <laughs> She's cla- And then Mary Tyler Moore. I didn't ever think that she was that funny. I, Sue Ann Niven. I, I, I suppose. Oh. I just had never thought of being a comedian almost because she's definitely got that role here. I think we've covered most of From Whence We Came. Uh, this initial premiere podcast of Boston Illegal Here and Now probably ran longer than we expect, but we'll see how it pans out. Definitely give it a try next week. In summary, I'd like to say that in this episode, Spader seemed to have a good hair week. It was actually very fluffy and, and attractive. I like that. As he said in his Emmy acceptance speech that he won last year. Oh, and I want to thank uh, Jory and Deborah and Kelly who do the hair and makeup at Boston Legal. I want to thank them most of all. So I think we all have to thank them for this hair week. Brad, as always, never enough of him, but uh, what I saw was extremely appealing. And of course, as I mentioned before, I grow to love Denny Crane more and more each week. He's sort of a, a fake person, pop cultural reference of Moore's Law, which is a doubling of love every 18 minutes. You know, everything gets more and more with Denny Crane. You can't help but enjoy him. He is a character. Uh, this is the part where we're going to run through some credits. You know, hey, we're a TV show podcast. Why not emulate a TV show with its ending credits? Uh, thanks to all my friends at uh, the James Spader Meeting Places, particularly Anais, Vanilla, I'm a mess, Jill Roy, and Anna for letting me borrow their opinions. <laughs> They're very prolific, and I definitely think people should go there if they like Boston Legal because every episode is dissected to an in- inch of its life. Uh, the music that you've heard on this show is, I just want to throw it out there, it's license-free music. Actually, I do not know the author of that, but it's available through flashkit.com and partnersinrhyme.com. Boston Illegal Here and Now is brought to you by Forest Rain Studios and the unofficial website, boston-legal.org. Unofficial here, I think, Rob, means we can do a Anything lot more. Anything <laughs> we want to do. That's, that, that's what unofficial means in no, my I, book. Well, that's true. You're going to get the underground version. But for the grace of God, I'm being able to bring you some sound bites. Not God. For the grace of David E. Kelly and ABC. <laughs> because we know what the official websites look like. They got the wrong information. Yeah, that's right. Next week, we'll be joined by Kyle Abney. I think we'll just call him Abney. He's the official reviewer of Boston Legal and Alias and the Lost TV show at TV Tome. And we'll dissect Till We Meet Again, which is episode 14 from season one. It's a repeat from February 13th. Please email me directly at bostonillegal at gmail.com. Give me your comments on the podcast, on the show, and I'll hopefully read it on the air. And also give us a call at the 800 number that you'll find at the front page of boston-legal.org. 
and leave a message with your opinion on Till We Meet Again, and I'd like to be able to put that one on the air as well. Well, and that 800 number is 1-800-986-8290. Thank you, Rob. Tell a friend to watch Boston Legal on Tuesdays at 10. Season 2 premieres September 27 with the title Black Widow. With That would be Mrs. Tommy Lee, Richie Sambora, Amanda Woodward, Blake Parisi, Big Bride, Burns, Stacey Sheridan, Sammy Joe Carrington, Heather Locklear. <laughs> Oh, is that who you were talking about? She's been around the block in Hollywood a few times. She's been on a few characters, I think. And I want to end on this note. And I'm talking to you, the Boston Legal person sitting at their desk at Raleigh Studios when you should be working, but you're listening to this podcast. Right now, as our closing theme music is playing, email bostonillegal at gmail.com or call 1-800-986-8290. And let's hear what you have to say. You're the real authority on Boston Legal after all. Your confidentiality will be respected. Until next week, this is Dana. This is Rob. Be sure to listen and watch Boston Legal. Denny Craig. The woman is not right. Is that mean you're finished? Who's <laughs> this?